0: A few years ago, I was reading Reader's Digest. We used to receive it, and then we decided to cancel our subscription. But it was like trying to get out of the mafia. You could really had a hard time getting out of a subscription to Reader's Digest. But I, I was reading through those little life, you know, anecdotes that you read. You know, this day in America, or whatever it's called, Life in America. And there was a cute little story about a church marquee sign that a person noticed as they were driving by. You know these signs that a lot of churches have out beside the road where they have nice little inspirational or funny little thoughts? Well, this particular church had this little sign that said at one point, you know, we love families, we love singles, we love young people. But one week they had this little sign up that only lasted for a short time because they realized their folly the sign simply read this: "We love hurting people." <laughs> they realized that, as they meant for the word "hurting" to be an adjective, it could very well be interpreted as a verb. "We love to hurt people" is what it sounded like. A funny little mistake that they quick, quickly corrected. But I wonder what our church sign would say. Would it say something similar? Do people who come to this congregation, do they leave feeling hurt? Do they leave feeling like they have been offended? Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's a good thing to get offended every once in a while, right? We want our, our sensibilities to be questioned a little bit. But what would people feel if they came here like they do? What do they feel from us, and what would our mission read? to our community? Would it say we love hurting people? Or would it say something else? Is there even anything that you and I can agree upon that we'd say this is our one aim and our one passion, this is what we are seeking to share to all those who come through our doors, to all those that we meet in the community? What would that one unified passion be? look like. Open the pages of your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts. We're going to continue on our series on Seeking the Lost. Now, for those of you who were not here a couple of weeks ago, actually three weeks ago now, I want to plead with you and urge you to go to our church website, bangorsda.org, and I want you to listen to that first sermon, The sermon was entitled, Unstoppable. You'll see where there's an option to find the sermons, the audio sermons. Also, the study guide is listed there. I want you to go and listen to that one after this service so that you can be caught up to speed with our series. And we are going through the book of Acts kind of roughly, although we're kind of jumping in and out of, of, of passages and we're not going through it chronologically. But we are trying to gather some insight from the book of Acts as we grapple with this this mission that god is has given to us incidentally the new sabbath school quarterly is on this very topic as well isn't it those who have been who are studying it it's on witnessing and evangelism and this is now the second time in the last year where i have started a series a, a quarter before the sabbath school started on the same topic you may recall that last year i spoke on galatians and then a few months later they had a series on Galatians, and now this is the same situation with this sermon series. Somebody encouraged me to kind of become a little more aware of the the larger schedule, but I think it's God's uh, providence that we get reaffirmed with these things, isn't it? So we look at the book of Acts. We're actually going to start in chapter 1, and we'll read starting in verse 4, "...and being assembled together with them, he," meaning Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the what? The Holy Spirit. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't understand, did they? They thought that God's mission was all about restoring the earthly kingdom. Even after all this time, they still did not recognize what his true mission was. And he said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive, what? Power. That word in Greek, many probably are aware, is the word dunamos from whence we get the word dynamite. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So these disciples were encouraged to wait for the outpouring of that Holy Spirit because they were not able to do anything in their own power, were they? Nor are we, are we? We are not able to do anything within our own, from our own power because, as we've discussed before, a sinful heart can only bring out sinful actions. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be God-powered, not man-powered. So the disciples decided to take Jesus' counsel and they went up to this upper room. Now, I don't know if it was the same upper room. It probably wasn't that they had met in right before Jesus' crucifixion. But they went to that well-known upper room and they began to pray and to plead and to invite the Holy Spirit to be poured down upon them. We come to chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had what? Fully come. Now that word Pentecost, you may recognize, denotes the idea of five or fifty. Pentecost comes fifty days after Passover. So Passover in the Jewish calendar is being celebrated right now as we speak. And so fifty days from now, roughly fifty days, is when Pentecost will be celebrated. And so this is 50 days after the crucifixion. For 40 days, they had been there, wandering around, doing their thing, and then Jesus told them to go up into the upper room or to, to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so for 10 days, they were praying. They were examining their hearts. They were, they were bonding with one another and confessing wrongs, interestingly. I want to read this quotation from you for you. It's in your study guide there. Does anyone need a study guide? You should have gotten them in your bulletins. This is from the book, The Ministry of Healing. And this is not necessarily just about the disciples' experience, but I think it's appropriate for the context and for our context. Notice what Ellen White says. She says, If we have a sense of the long-suffering of God toward us, we shall not be hurt, We shall not be found hurting or judging others. Boy, that's something, isn't it? We shall not be found hurting or judging others. Let us never forget that those who love him are to represent him in character. That's a very bold statement, isn't it? Those Those who love him are to represent him in character. And so the disciples were coming face-to-face with this reality. We are to represent Christ in character. We are to, to show the world, we are to show one another what we are all about. And so they spent that time there in the upper room, praying and inviting the Holy Spirit. Now, was it as though God needed to be convinced to send them the Holy Spirit? Is that what they were doing up there in the upper room? They were saying, God, you better send out the Holy Spirit. we're, We're begging you as if you didn't want to give him to us. Is that what they were doing? No, they were being prepared to receive the Holy Spirit. We're told that God is more willing to give us the Holy Spirit than we are to receive it. God is eager to give us the Holy Spirit. God is eager to pour out his power in abundance unto us. And so they were there. But notice what the book of Luke Sorry, Luke goes on to say, the author of Acts, he says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, that word for one accord is very interesting. Because the Greek word is the word homothumadon. It's a, it's a compound word made up of two different Greek words. And you see it there in your study guide. It's actually used eleven times in the New Testament and ten of those times are in the book of Acts. So it's a very important concept to Luke and to the New Testament church. This homothumadon. Well, you know the word homo means one or single or unified, unity, homo sapiens. Other homo words that we don't need to say here today. But homo thumadon means one passion or one fire or one zeal that they had for one another. You know That word thumos actually means the word wrath or passion or, as I like to put it, fire in the belly. Isn't that a concept that we need to grapple with? By the way, I appreciate what Michael said a short time ago during the praise time because it was something that I was going to touch upon very briefly. Go back to the book of Luke. Go back to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Notice what Luke records. I love this story. Talking about fire in the belly. Luke chapter 23. This is very appropriate for our time of celebration, as many are turning their minds on the resurrection of Jesus. You know, those very well-known... That very well-known story where these two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and the stranger comes beside them, doesn't he? And he starts talking to them. Notice what Luke records. Luke chapter 20. Sorry, did I say Luke 23? I meant Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. This is now speaking of Jesus. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. Isn't that a beautiful invitation for our Lord? Lord, just abide with us. Stay with us. Remain with us. Spend time with us. Is that your prayer? This day and always evermore? Lord, just stay with me. Be with me. Let's fellowship with one another. Now, at this point, they didn't recognize exactly who this person was. But abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And notice what verse 32 says. And they said to one another, Did not our heart what burn within us? while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Did not our hearts burn within us? Did we not feel this fire within us when we were fellowshipping and, and having relationship with this man because it was Jesus as he opened? Wouldn't you love, by the way, wouldn't you love to be sitting in your at your kitchen table and Jesus himself comes in and he opens your Bible and he says, let me give you a little Bible study. Let me show you what these things mean. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Because we were told earlier, we, we didn't read it, but we were told earlier that Jesus began at Moses and all the prophets. And he explained those things which concerned himself in the Old Testament. And he just gave this Bible study as to what all these things meant in the Old Testament. Wouldn't that be a wonderful to have jesus sitting next to you and opening the scriptures he just explains to you what those things mean it would cause my heart to burn within me i think but you know we can't have jesus with us can't we that's the whole point of the holy spirit being sent to us jesus if he were still here on earth he could only sit next to a couple of us at a time wouldn't he But he says, it is better for you that I leave so that I may send the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can sit next to all of us at the same time. And he can enlighten our hearts and our minds as we study those scriptures. But that's what God is is longing for us to experience is to have that one single passion, that one single focus, that one single goal. Interestingly, notice in your study guide, I came across this little explanation. In secular Greek homothymadon does not convey does not convey the personal fiery sorry does not convey the personal sympathy that members of a particular group share rather it specifies a commitment to a specific course of action and what about us so it's not necessarily that everyone has this uniformed view. It's not that everyone has this uniform personality. It's that everybody has a singular focus on what the goal of life is all about. And what is that goal, friends? Is it not to share that passion, that burning, that fiery zeal that God has placed within each one of us to share with others? Is that not what we've been called to do? Is that not what the disciples experienced as they went forward, as they received the Holy Spirit, as the the Holy Ghost was poured out in abundant measure? And they went out and people started hearing the message being preached in their own languages. And many souls were baptized. We talked about that a a couple weeks ago. 3,000 souls were added that day because the Holy Spirit had been poured out. You know, God wants to give us that same upper room experience, doesn't he? He wants to give us that same unified mission and zeal. You know what happens when, when you and I experience that? God's power can be poured out in even greater measure. Because when you and I come together, and we share that passion. And we share that zeal. Now many of us think that zeal can be a little bit of a bad thing. And sometimes we can be zealous for the wrong reasons, the wrong things. But God does want to give us that zeal for him, doesn't he? What, what, what had happened, by the way? What had happened to these disciples? You may recall that just a few days before, they were fighting, they were arguing, they were talking about who would be the greatest. Well, I believe, among other things, as we already read in Luke 24, they had understood the mission and the cross of Jesus Christ, hadn't they? They had seen the character of God in the person of Jesus as he laid out his life for the world and he showed to the whole universe. He, he, he brought back the curtain on what his heart was all about. And their hearts were humbled in light of that, weren't they? I've, I've come to the realization, and, and I've probably shared this many times before, but this last week I was, I was riding to Dexter for prayer meeting. And I was sharing this with the young people last night, but I was giving myself a lecture. Is it, do any of you ever lecture yourself? Probably the only one who, who likes to lecture him or herself. No, but I was giving myself a lecture. You know what I was telling myself? I was going on and on and on about how I needed to be a better person, how I needed to do this better, how I need to do that better. You know, God does want us to live better lives than we live, doesn't he? Amen? Amen. If he doesn't, we're all in trouble. Because, as Camden and I like to sing, he's still working on me. Amen. Makes me what I ought to be. That's right. Although Camden changes a little bit. He says, he's still working on my truck. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, we come up with these different things that... Him, and is excited God's still working on. It. But God's still working on us. He's trying to make something better of us. But God doesn't want us to lecture ourselves and then try to do better because we can't do better. We can't. We need the Holy Spirit to take hold of our hearts, to take hold of our lives. And He will change us into the image that He wants to change us into. And so as I was driving along there to Dexter for prayer meeting, it suddenly dawned on me i said you know what jesus is not asking me to fix myself he's not asking me to 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 change like the behavior that i display that the disciples displayed he's asking me to simply look to jesus he's asking me to behold him and he will change me into that image amen so my job, if you will, is to, just like the disciples in that upper room, just contemplate the character of Jesus. Contemplate his love, his forgiveness. Contemplate the cross that they were able to witness firsthand. And you and I can go back to that cross. And, and we can look and behold and meditate upon Jesus. And he says, I'll take care of changing you. I'll take care of changing you. That's a beautiful promise, and that's what the disciples experienced there in Pentecost. They contemplated, they looked upon, they meditated, they beheld Jesus and his sacrifice. Interestingly, again, this article that I read, notice what the author proposes. Homo talking about this one passion, this one zeal, this one fiery aim, is the result of of the unmerited grace of God. That's what's the result of It's nothing you and I can produce. It's not like we can say, okay, we need 30 people to come to prayer meeting, because if we get 30 people, then we can be united. It's not as though we say, okay, we need to pray this long, or we need to pray this prayer, or we need to be this diligent. Now we can always place ourselves in position to receive that unmerited grace, can't we? That's what God asks us to do. I love that illustration, maybe I've used it before, but by C.S. Lewis, he says, God places gifts where he finds open hands. God's always trying to place gifts into our hands, but many times, as Lewis goes on to say, we have clenched fists, and they're not open to God. And so God is just inviting us to receive by opening our hands to Him so that He can place those wonderful gifts, that unmerited grace, that He can give us the Holy Spirit so that we could come together and be united. The author goes on to say, Our unity stems solely from the fact that we are sinners... Forgiven, what does it say? We are, we are sinners forgiven by the unexpected and undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful, friends? We are sinners. We are sinners forgiven by the unexpected and undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. You know what happened, of course, with the disciples? They came together and they put away their differences, didn't they? They put away their differences, and they no longer dwelt upon the faults of the other disciples. They no longer dwelt upon the faults and the errors of others. They came together with one passion, with one unified zeal and excitement for the love and forgiveness and the power of Jesus Christ as they receive that Holy Spirit. Shifting gears just a little bit as we wind down here. These quotations that we're going to look at next from the Ministry of Healing are very practical as far as us being a unified body of believers. This can only take place, however, friends, when we have that upper room experience, both individually and corporately. Now, God, God is, is good, isn't he? He loves us. He cares for us. And he's not going to beat us up if we're not where we're supposed to be. As a matter of fact, he doesn't beat us up. If he did, we'd all be dead beside the road, wouldn't we? But He just he invites us through the power of his Holy Spirit to receive that power from the Holy Spirit, to receive that grace and that un, unmerited grace that he has for us. And when we behold Jesus, this is what happens by his grace. Notice these words. This is a very practical part of this message. Ellen White says, Cultiv- Cultivate the habit of speaking well of others. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cultivate the habit of speaking well of others. I'm I'm glad somebody's done their homework. Thank you. (laughs) Dwell upon the good qualities of those with whom you associate. That's against our natural inclination, isn't it? Dwell upon the good qualities of those with whom you associate and see as little as possible... Of the errors of their errors and failings. None of us naturally have that type of disposition, do we? God calls upon us to think of His mercy and His matchless love that we may be inspired with praise. That's what God is asking us to do. Behold His love, dwell upon that love. Respond to that love. And when that love becomes a part of who we are, we're not going to try to look for the faults in others, are we? We're not going to try to dwell upon their errors and their, their misdeeds. Notice what she says. Earnest workers, this is the big idea here. Earnest workers have no time for dwelling upon the faults of others. You know, if we're looking out, we're looking out, we're looking out, we're not, we're not, we don't have any time to like Complain about what, you know, so and so who wore that to church last week was wearing. We don't have time to, you know, stick it to others because they didn't sing the right way or they didn't pay enough offering or whatever the case may be. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a place for those in leadership like myself to lovingly encourage and hold others accountable. And when you and I come together, and we have all things in common, and we have a passion for the same thing, there's a place for you and I to lovingly hold others accountable as well. Lovingly doing so. Those who were last night at the young adult, we heard a powerful testimony of someone who received the loving accountability of another brother. And that can be done in a good way. The problem is, as one of my former members used to say, because there is no unity and love and there's not a healthy environment of accountability, it falls upon novices to do it. And they do it in a way that is unloving and unkind. And so they're filling a void but doing it in an inappropriate way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God is is trying to bring us together as a unified group so that we're not just nagging at people, but eventually we do come to a place where we can put our arms around the other person and say, hey, I'm I'm on this journey together with you. I'm struggling as well. And I hope you can hold me accountable. And this is just something that I see. Take it for what it's worth. Notice what she goes on to say. We cannot afford to live on the husks of others' faults or failings. By dwelling upon the faults of others, we are changed into the same image. Isn't that what we were just talking about before? God wants us to behold Him, to be changed into His image. But when we behold others and we dwell upon their faults and their sins, we're just becoming what we're looking at, aren't we? And we become the very things that we are criticizing others. By beholding Jesus, talking of His love... And perfection of character, we become changed into His image. By contemplating the lofty ideal He has placed before us, we shall be uplifted into a pure and holy atmosphere, even the presence of God. When we abide here, there goes forth from us a light that irradiates all who are connected with us. Beautiful. End quote. God is inviting us to come together, friends, as a, as a corporate body. As we are in our private prayer closets, as we are spending time beholding Him, we are able and equipped to come together. And as a corporate group, instead of looking for the faults in others, we spend time encouraging and working towards that common, singular, zealous, one-passion. And that is for a dying world that desperately needs to hear about our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to be a part of that? I'm I'm going to invite you to take three very practical steps. Okay? This is very, very practical. One, I want to invite you just to behold Jesus. Just behold Jesus. Pastor, what do you mean by behold Jesus? Just respond to his invitation for fellowship. And spend time in His Word. You know, the I, I just was seeing on the internet that there's this new initiative going forward from the General Conference. I think it's called Revived by His Word. You can go online and, and find out more information. I think that that's just what it is Revived by His Word.org, maybe, or it's Revival and Reformation.org or something. But they're encouraging everyone to just read a chapter a day, starting, I think, April 17. Read a chapter a day from the Bible, and that will take you to, I believe, the end point is 2015 for the General Conference in San Antonio. So you read a chapter a day, and and together this world movement spends time in God's Word together. And remember, friends, what what did Jesus in Luke 24, he explained all these things concerning himself, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, the whole Bible from cover to cover is about Jesus, isn't it? Amen. It's about God and his love. And sometimes we look through these things and we say, wow, what is? how does that show me a picture of Jesus? It doesn't mean it doesn't. It just means we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and invite Jesus to sit there at that kitchen table with us as well, right? And he can explain these things. So I just want to invite you, number one, to respond to God's drawing Grace to have fellowship with Him by spending time in His Word. Number two, when you do spend time in that Word, look at His cross and interpret and read everything in the Bible in light of or in the context of that cross. Saying, Pastor, what does that mean? That means whenever we read something, say, now what does this tell me about God's love and His sacrifice on my behalf? It'll open up new new insights for you about what Jesus. And what God are all about. And number three, simply this. Come to prayer meeting. Come to prayer meeting. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. But prayer meeting is at a time when most of us do not work. Except for me, I'm working when I'm at prayer meeting. Just kidding. It's a a joy to be at prayer meeting. It's a pleasure to be at prayer meeting. This is now the second time I've invited everyone to prayer meeting in the last couple weeks, isn't it? Last couple sermons. Come to prayer meeting. We have a blessed time together as we open up. Right now, we just finished a chapter from Acts of the Apostles. And it's just a beautiful time of prayer and sharing. And a couple of weeks ago, we didn't want to stop because we were just having so great a time. I, I recall reading that very testimony and these revivals that took place in 1889 in South Lancaster, Massachusetts, they had what was called the social meeting, where they would, after presentations were made, Ellen White was preaching and A.T. Jones was preaching, they'd go and they have a social meeting. And on the Friday night, they started the social meeting at, I believe it was like 5 o'clock, and they went to 9 o'clock. And Ellen White says they would have gone on longer had we not thought it prudent to stop them. Because there was such testimony being born. And, you know, God longs for that to be our experience, doesn't he? And he's eager to pour that out in our hearts so that we might have that unified passion for him. So come to prayer meeting, 7 o'clock, this Wednesday. Don't make a covenant and say, I'm going to be there. Just from here until there, moment by moment, choose to surrender what the holy spirit is inviting you to do that's it's not that hard and yet it is hard at times isn't it but god he's not asking you to to sign a piece of paper that say i will be at prayer meeting he's just asking you moment by moment to surrender i just it's it's so wonderful to realize that surrendering is easier than putting up a fight did you know that it's easier it's easier when, when I'm asked to do something I don't want to do, I expend expend more energy resisting than I do if I just said, okay, I'll do it. You know? And God is just, He's inviting you to surrender moment by moment. And I do believe, I don't want to speak on behalf of the Holy Spirit, but I do believe that He will impress upon you on Wednesday evening to come to prayer meeting. And again, it will be harder for you to resist than for you to just say Lord, I surrender. I'll be there. All right? You know where it is, right? <laughs> it's right here. I don't. Want, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. If you can't come, I'm not gonna. I'm not taking attendance. This is a good thing because I don't have perfect attendance myself. But just, just come to prayer meeting. We're looking forward this fall to a evangelistic series on the campus up there in Orono, and God is, I believe, preparing us as a united group to be able to receive the fullness of his spirit and his character. You know, a couple of years ago, we held an evangelistic series at my old church in West Lebanon, New Hampshire, and Elder Rick Kuntz came, and I've shared that before with you, I'm sure. But you know, we had an experience. My favorite part of the whole series was probably an hour or so before the meetings Rick Kuntz has been here to hold meetings as well, so he probably did this here also. But there would be a group of individuals, whoever wanted to, whomsoever was able to come, but there was only a handful, 10, 12 people at a time. And we would come together, and we would go into the, one of the back rooms there at the old West Lebanon Church. They've since moved. And we would just get down on our knees, and we would pray for the Holy Spirit. And we would pray for the people who would be coming. And after we had people started to come, we would get their names and we would pray for them individually. And my I tell you what, brothers and sisters, I have never been part of a greater spirit-led experience than that experience there in that side room in West Lebanon. As we came together, there was such a unity, there was such a power, there was such a vision for a common goal of reaching people. There's not there's nothing like praying for somebody who is in the valley of decision for God. There's nothing like it. There is just an incredible passion and intense desire to have people to come see the Lord. And it's heartbreaking when you've been praying so much for somebody and you see them turn back and not carry on into that decision. But God is inviting us to have that same upper room experience. We can take that step of of being here at prayer meeting as one of those practical moves we can make to have the Spirit poured out in abundant measure. My prayer, friends, is that you and I would have that experience that the disciples had, as we see the cross of Jesus Christ, as our hearts are melted by the love of Jesus, as we come together, opening up our hands and our hearts for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in abundant measure. It is time, is it not? It is time. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray, we pray that you would go deeper and deeper and deeper in our hearts. Lord you have longed to return to claim your bride these many years. We're sorry. We're so very sorry. We ask for your forgiveness that we have delayed you. We pray that somehow some way your spirit would be able to open up our hands and open up our hearts. Individually, collectively, as a local church, as a worldwide church, so that we might receive your spirit, your character in its fullness, and this whole earth might be enlightened with the glory of God. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.